Hi there, this is Jeff Otis, partner at Evergreen, and you're listening to a deep dive episode on the Evergreen Exchange. Over the holidays, I spoke with investment committee member Jeff Dix about some of the top charts of 2020. Feel free to open the chart book provided in the show notes to follow along. And as always, thanks for listening. Well, Jeff, thanks for being being here with us today. Uh, we, uh, we're we coming here near to the end of the year, and today wanted to take a time uh, to look over the, the recent chart book that we put together of the December 2020 Evergreen chart book. We put these together uh, once, once in a while uh, and send them out uh, traditionally by email. Now that we're doing these podcasts, wanted to take a moment and actually do a podcast version of this chart book. So I appreciate you being here and, and working on this with us. So. <laughs> Obviously, you can't talk about really anything in 2020 until you talk about COVID. So let's start there with the uh, first chart on uh, COVID. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, our first chart shows uh, U.S. COVID cases, deaths, and hospitalizations. Uh, we've really had three spikes. The first was, of course, um, Q1 in March. Uh, we also had a spike in June, which was less severe than March. And finally, we're in the midst of probably our worst spike yet. Uh, sadly, daily deaths are averaging about 105,000. Uh, hospitalizations are right near that April peak. Um, our view is that we see cases peak over the next month, followed by a steady decline. Uh, by the back half of 2021, we think the virus is mostly under control, at least in the U.S. Uh, we've actually begun distributing the vaccine, uh, and healthcare workers around the country are beginning to get vaccinated. I've actually had some friends in the healthcare profession get the first vaccine over the last two days, which is pretty exciting to see. Yeah, how encouraging is that? We've been waiting. Uh, we've been waiting here all year to to try to get to this point. Now we're starting to see the vaccines distributed, and it's giving us, I think, a nice little moment to to look, uh, you know, hope and and uh, moment to look forward on potentially finally getting out of this thing. Go to the next chart. Let's talk about U.S. economy. Yeah. So the the next chart shows the damage that was caused by COVID and the shutdowns. And uh, on the lower pane, you can actually see quarterly GDP growth. And if you look on the right side, in each red segment is a recession. Uh, and the red line shows a 9% con- uh, quarterly contraction in Q2. That works out to a 31.5% uh, rate on an annualized basis. So that's the largest uh, contraction we've ever seen. The unemployment rate, um, the gray line went all the way up to 15%. Uh, retail sales at the worst of it was falling 20% year over year. But fortunately, you can kind of see this on the chart. We've had what we consider a V-shaped recovery. Unemployment's improved to 6.7%. Uh, retail sales uh, is now growing year over year. And in the most recent, recent month, uh, was up almost 6%. We have a long way to go, but the speed and the power of the recovery has been quite impressive. Uh, so it's it's good to see the rebound, and our expectation is, looking out over the next 12 months, the economy continues to recover, though at a slower pace than we've had over the last six months. But by the back half of next year, we think we'll be back to where we were and actually ahead of where we were uh, in 2019. Yeah, I mean, I find it just incredible that you, the retail sales are higher versus a year ago. I mean, that's just unbelievable to me given what we've been through and then obviously all the the chatter about the economy this year. And I remember back in in March, April, May, there was so much speculation and conversation around what kind of a recovery, what shape recovery we were going to see. Would it be V? Would it be U? Would it be W? And it looks like it's a V shape, you know, obviously looking at this chart. But yeah, pretty incredible to see to see uh, how things have played out. 
Uh, let's move on to the next the next chart here and, and discuss sectors. Yeah, I mean this is a this is really an impressive chart. And while we've had a V-shaped recovery in the economy overall, we certainly haven't had a V-shaped recovery when you look at sector performance. And you know, you look at sector performance, and it it really we've had the widest dispersion we've seen since probably the tech bubble. Uh, you can see here that you know really anything tied to providing services at home, whether it's logistic companies, e-commerce, most anything tech-related, housing-related, et cetera, we're all up 20 to 60% on the year, which is a really a fantastic year uh, for any market segment. And you know a lot of these areas have done really, really well. On the flip side, anything tied to mobility uh, or you know, uh, movement uh, with it throughout the economy, uh, is down anywhere from 28 to 35%. So you have airlines down 28, you have retail REITs down almost 30, you have the energy sector down 33, uh, and a lot of these were down 40, 50, 60% at the worst of it. Um, so it's been, you've seen a significant amount of dispersion. But at this point, we think some of those hard hit areas have the most rebound potential. Uh, and we're pretty excited, you know, given our view on the economy, that some of these areas that were really, really hard hit and are still depressed have a pretty good, you know, forward-looking return potential. This, I was going to say, this is one area on the sectors that I, in all my conversations with clients throughout the year, but certainly now here as we get to the end of it and are able to look in the rear view on what's played out and how it's played out, this is still an area that I think very few people really have a firm grasp on. You know, I think so many people just look at the index, whether it's the Dow or the S&P or, or the NASDAQ, to be fair, uh, on like, what you know, how am I doing? How is the market doing? And I mean, in so many of the conversations I've had with clients recently, it's like it really depends not just on the tactical moves you made this year, but then in which areas you were invested in, because it could be I mean, look at the difference between various sectors on what's done well versus what hasn't. So, I mean, a year unlike anything I've ever seen in my 13 years here at Evergreen. Yeah. And the next chart shows individual stocks. And, right. you know, and it's the, the, basically the stocks that are underneath some of those sectors previously. And, you know, the stock performance is even more extreme. Um, you know, so if you look at uh, DocuSign, Redfin, Spotify, they're all up triple digits. And Jeff, as you know, we've been using DocuSign all the time, you know, throughout this year. And, you know, just imagine how many clients DocuSign has picked up and how much, how much more users they have and how much how much growth they've seen. And, you know, it's been super impressive throughout these companies, but even Amazon, Apple, Netflix, all up 50 to 60%. And then on the flip side, you look at, say, the retailers like Nordstrom's down 25, and that's after a big rally, Boeing, Simon Property Group, owns retail commercial real estate, Exxon, United Airlines, Carnival Cruises, you know, all these companies are down 25 to 60%. And again, that's after a massive rally we've seen over the last couple of months, which we'll talk about, but just looking at the individual stocks, it's it's just it's just shocking and impressive how how big the disparity is. Yeah, and I think uh, you know in terms of areas that have struggled, let's talk about next slide and discuss oil. What's happened to the oil market this year? Yeah, this might be the the most impressive chart out of all of them, and and really it highlights when WTI West Texas uh, oil hit forty dollars, and really that was on the front month contract. But never before, I mean, it was, you know, even when it got down to 20, it was the lowest in, in many, many years. Uh, but uh, the front month oil contract dipped to minus 40. And this happened when oil inventories were rising, given 
you know, oil demand was down, you know, 20, 30% year over year in the U.S. Um, in addition, when you had inventories rising, you had storage facilities filling up. So there was a, a real big concern on who would take oil. And, you know, that oil, you, you need to take delivery on the future contract. So it dipped down minus 40, which was, you know, something that we no one would ever have expected, something we've never seen before. But you you have seen a snapback in demand. Our demand trackers that we track are are, are tracking down about 10% year over year in the last month. Uh, so you've started to see improved demand uh, improvement on the demand side. Part of that's because you've also seen a supply reduction as well uh, in the U.S. So that's helping the supply demand dynamic. Um, and then again, looking out the next 12 months, we think energy demand is going to snap back to where it was pre-COVID. Um, and, and, you know, one area that we're, we think is pretty attractive is energy over the next 12 to 18 months, um, given the setup we just discussed. Yeah, I think that's a good overview. Let's go uh, next slide, discuss central banks and the impacts they're having on global markets. Yeah, so given the global contraction and the shutdowns, we really saw a coordinated effort by central banks to expand their balance sheets. You know, this chart shows the Fed balance sheet, the ECB balance sheet, the Bank of Japan balance sheet, and the, and the, uh, the China the balance sheet as well. And you can see that there was just a massive increase from about $20 trillion uh, to over $26 trillion for these combined balance sheets. Um, and, and, and we also overlay on this chart the world market cap. And, you know, over time, there's been a very, very tight correlation with stocks. Uh, in balance sheet expansion, and that's been accentuated, I'd say, over the last 15 years. Uh, and, you know, what you saw is when the balance sheets expanded, you had a stock market rebound. So there's been a, a clear linkage, and, and that's an, a very important reason why we've seen a rebound in equity markets. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, look at look at balance sheets from the, from the various central banks combined and just the growth of, of their balance sheets over time. Uh, yep. Certainly the... They brought up the bazookas, haven't they? Yep. And uh, the next chart kind of on that topic as well, and it's specific to the U.S. And what this chart essentially shows is corporate uh, issuance this year. So U.S. corporates, uh, corporations, and, and the, their issuance of corporate debt. It also show, shows corporate uh, borrowing spreads, uh, or corporate spreads, basically where they're able to borrow above treasuries. And the Fed and the government created an emergency relief program called the Fed Credit Facility. And that was probably the most notable difference this time around relative to the last crisis. Uh, and they created this to buy both investment grade and high yield corporate bonds. Uh, and this was in an effort to stabilize borrowing costs. And this really did wonders on, on, corporate, on the corporate bond market. Yeah, uh, you what you see it there. Yeah, on the left, it shows corporate bond issuance. And that's, that's been 1.8 trillion year to date. And that's not even a full year. That's up 50% year over year. That's only with, and again, that's with a month to spare. The, the chart on the, on the right shows corporate borrowing spreads. And you can see high yield spreads move from 12.5% uh, to 5.2%. Um, so we've seen a, a massive uh, contraction in, in where, where these companies are able to borrow. And what's amazing is the Fed engineered this with only buying 13 and a half billion worth of corporates. That might sound like a lot, but that was only 1.8% of the amount that they were able to buy. So the, the facility was created to buy 750 billion worth of corporate bonds. They only bought 13 and a half billion 
And it led to this amazing opportunity for these companies to, uh, you know, reduce their borrowing costs to, to basically the lowest of all time. They turned out their debt. Uh, and in many cases, a lot of these companies reduced their interest costs, which, you know, obviously helps, you know, earnings and cash flow. And uh, it, it really was, an, a, it was a well well-designed and well-executed program, and they didn't have to use much of it. Yeah, I mean, look at the the, the second chart that, that shows the spread just blowing out in, in early 2020. I mean, just how dramatic of, a, of an up move that is, and then for them to be able to reverse it. You know, I mean, you can make the case that's the most significant financial, you know, financial move that happened this year uh, yep. for them to be able to flip that around. Pretty yep. incredible. Um, let's move to the next one and talk about how, uh, talk about interest rates and inflation expectations. Yeah, during during the worst of the crisis, inflation expectations were really really low. CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index, tracking actual inflation rates was basically zero. Inflation expectations for the next ten years was 0.5. Uh, and then, given this huge amount of money supply growth, you know, easing from the Fed, we've we've seen ten-year inflation expectations go up to 1.9 percent. That's the gray line. Um, the blue line shows actual inflation rates moving up to 1.2%, again, from zero. We've also seen, uh, which is an indicator of economic growth, copper move up to a multi-year high. Now, if you look at the green line, which is the 10-year treasury rate, we've moved up, but we haven't moved up uh, that much. We've gone, up, gone from 0.5% on the 10-year to, to about 1%. Uh, we're a little under that today. But really, if you look at the 10-year Treasury, it tends to track inflation and inflation expectations over time, which makes intuitive sense. Um, but what you see here is a massive gap between the 10-year and inflation expectations. And you know, our view is that the 10-year Treasury plays catch-up to that uh, and, and likely moves up into the 1.5% range over the next 12 months. Uh, you know, it could move higher. Uh, but we, we certainly think long-term interest rates are going to move up as the economy reopens, as inflation expectations continue to move up, as actual inflation rates move up, uh, we think long-term rates are going to head higher. Yeah, and I think when you're talking uh, interest rates, next slide here on housing uh, go hand in hand. Absolutely, and yeah, going back to the economy, the best the best area of the economy has been residential housing. Uh, you look at the gray line and it shows new and existing home sales. And those are running at around an $8 million, or sorry, $8 million clip. So $8 million new and existing home sales uh, annualized. And that's far higher than any point this cycle. That's $2 million higher than the five-year average. And this is attributable to a few things. You know, first, uh, you've had mortgage rates plummet, currently at around 2.9%. But also, consumer preferences have shifted in favor of single-family homes at the expense of, say, multifamily. So this has led to home prices rising 6% year over year in the most recent months. It kind of makes sense that housing prices are going up in this environment. If you think about it, Jeff, you know, mortgage rates at 2.9 versus call it say 4% on average last year, that's a, that's a big difference. So, you know, on a 1 million, call it 30 year loan, that brings the monthly payment down by around $600 per month. Or if you say that a little bit differently, the same payment can get you about 200000 more in loan value. So it makes sense that home prices are going up and mortgage rates now are an all-time low. In addition, you have that preference shift from people wanting to live in single-family home versus, say, a congested multifamily uh, condo complex. Um, it all makes sense, but you know, certainly it's been 
a, a very good year for residential real estate. I just find it, I find it amazing to see the thirty-year uh, the thirty-year fixed mortgage down to two point nine percent. I remember buying my first house back in two thousand six and getting you know six point three seven five, and I remember talking to my dad about it because I thought it was a pretty high rate at the time, and he was like, compared to what we had for our first mortgage back in you know mid mid to late seventies, you know it was like they were they paid double digits in, in interest on whatever loan they got at the time, and. He was telling me what a steal three point or excuse me six point three seven five was, and now it's like all all my clients are refinancing their mortgage down to like below three, you know, or or three and a half. I shouldn't yeah. say all right clients that have mortgages that you know that they're paying three and a half, four, four and a half, or whatever it is. Uh, you know, a lot of those are are looking for opportunities to save, and you're looking at a thirty year rate of under of sub three percent. I mean, think about that, just unreal. Pretty incredible. Uh, okay, let's go to the next slide. Let's talk about a recent change in market leadership. Yeah, so this is the same exact chart that we ran on slide five with the internet retailers, the freight and logistics companies, tech. Then you have the finance, financials, airlines, retail REITs, and energies, energy, and the energy sector. And what's interesting is if you go to the start of November, we've seen a complete shift in the leaders. Uh, and, and, you know, it is due to we've had a lot of positive vaccine news, with, which we discussed. That gives us a, a nice insight into, you know, economic growth next year, mobility. And what you've seen is exactly the opposite of earlier this year. You have energy up 40 percent since November 1st. Retail REITs up 30 percent. And then on the flip side, you have tech, tech stocks lagging. So you've seen a major reversal in terms of growth versus value or state of virus victims versus the virus winners. And, you know, looking out over the next six to 12 months, we think there's more runway for these beaten up sectors to outperform. And we think value is attractive relative to growth at this point. Now, we still like a lot of the tech names that have really good long-term um, structural growth stories. But over the next six to 12 months, we are leaning more towards value areas. Yeah, I think that's... You know, and they obviously write our playbook in terms of working with an asset manager that that runs things in a more tactical way. Uh, you know, these are these are trends and reversals or moves that we can capitalize on. Uh, but it's always nice to actually see them, you know, here here uh, shown like, the way they are. So final slide. I appreciate everybody again being with us and going through this. Hopefully you're finding this, uh, you know, informative and helpful. But last slide here, we're going to talk about outlook on equities and valuations, and then we're going to wrap it up. Yeah. So, you know, outlook on equities is tricky at this point. Um, you know, one thing I'll, I'll mention on the chart is we have a, a, a valuation metric in here, which essentially, I don't want to get too into the weeds of things, but it, it uses enterprise value, which is um, the equity market cap plus debt. So it's inclusive of, you know, not only the market cap of the equity, but also all the debt that's been taken on by corporations. And then it takes a cash flow measure and it compares it to interest rates. And essentially this spread, which is a, a cash flow spread, is has averaged 5.25% over the last 25 years. We're currently at 4.5%, which essentially means Equities are slightly expensive using this metric relative to history, but you know we're still cautiously optimistic on stocks, given a couple factors that are on this chart as well. First, you have short-term rates at zero, and the Fed's essentially said we're going to keep them at zero for multiple years until you know, say, unemployment gets back to full until we get back to full unemployment. 
until inflation moves up to the target. Uh, in addition, we have money supply growth growing at about a 20% year-over-year clip. We think the Fed is going to continue to use its balance sheet and expand its balance sheet. And they effectively said that this week, that QE is going to be open-ended. So in that environment, what you tend to get is valuations that compress. So we are cautiously optimistic on stocks over the next 12 to 18 months. And with, But with that said, near term, we are fairly extended uh, in terms of the move we've seen over the last two months. So we have been raising some cash in our equity portfolios. We uh, we're playing a little bit more defense here near term. We do think, you know, looking at technicals, we could see, call it a five, maybe 10% pullback in the market uh, over the next two to three months. Uh, with that said, if we do experience a mild correction, we're going to take that as a buying opportunity and redeploy that cash into some of these beaten up areas that we just discussed. Well, I appreciate your overview on this. I mean, I appreciate you and your team's efforts to put this chart book together in the first place and then for you spending some time going through it uh, in this type of a format. I think it's helpful. Uh, obviously, you know, we're, we'll do more chart books ahead. You know, it's incredible looking back. At, you know, I remember going through 2008 and thinking we'll never have a year like this again. And then you go into 2020 and you just look backwards at what's played out this year and where it's put us and and some of the opportunities now moving forward. So again, appreciate all your time, appreciate all your efforts on this, and uh, we'll do it again. Absolutely, Jeff, thanks for having me. If anyone has questions on these charts, uh, feel free to email me, the link's on the email. And thanks again, Jeff. Okay, thanks, buddy.